0: I'd like to introduce you to a person whose work I admire. I don't know him very well, and I'm only acquainted with about three minutes and 42 seconds of his work, so I can't say for sure much else about him. But this man, who goes by the name of uh, Yosemite Bear Vasquez, some of you may have met him on YouTube, Maybe it was forwarded to you. I think I can thank Marshall Brock and some other guys, Brian Pierce, who used to be a part of this, and some others, for corrupting me with this knowledge. It's not a corruption, it's a delight, which is why I share it with you today, because all good things delightful must be shared. But I've watched this YouTube video of this fellow who goes by the moniker Yosemite Bear, and there's this stunning sign that visits him. There's this day, a clear day, clearer than this one maybe, when he's looking out in his front yard and it's would be easy to assume that he might be propped up and motivated by certain substances that you can't buy at the Walmart. He might have been smoking left-handed cigarettes. He might have... Be a little bit under the influence of something that was making him see even more vividly than he was really seeing. But he comes full into contact with this rainbow, and so his video starts. You never see him, you just see this vista where a rainbow is stabbing the sky, and he says, Wow, that's a full rainbow. He's not from around these parts. That's a full rainbow. All the way. Double rainbow. And then he breaks into prayer, maybe. Oh my God, he says. Double rainbow all the way. Wow. It's so intense. Wow. Man. Wow. Wow. Wow! And then the crescendo of praise begins to be yanked out of his lungs. Oh my God! Oh my God! And then he starts to laugh uncontrollably. (laughs) Oh! Whoa! And then a shout of exclamation. Yeah! And then... oh, oh, Oh! Wow! Yeah! And then the tears come. The mania drops down into (laughs) contrition. (laughs) Oh my God! (laughs) It's starting to look like a triple rainbow! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God! He says through his tears, it's full on! Double rainbow all the way across the sky! (laughs) Oh my God! He worships. And then with a wind chime, faintly being moved by the wind and Bear Vasquez being moved maybe by the spirit or marijuana says what does this mean oh it's so bright it's so vivid it's so intense and for like 30 seconds he weeps uncontrollably a double complete ramble Right in my front yard. Oh my God, please tell me what does it mean? He says. It's too much. I don't know what it means. And we'll end there. (laughs) I don't know Bear Vasquez. I don't know the conditions, but I do know that that went off better than I had imagined. I've watched that with guys and they always laugh hysterically. I've watched it with some of their wives and mine, and they thought we were weird. (laughs) But, it does, if you look at this and you recognize what happens when you see certain stunning vistas, when you come across the artistry of the universe and you find things that take your breath away, that catch you off guard, things you weren't expecting at all, like a double rainbow all the way you don't expect it when you meet up with it it elicits all sorts of response in you. Weeping praise confusion, disorientation and Bear was certainly convinced that this was a signal for him that the, the gods were telegraphing some intention for him that fate had come to his front door and it Seems to me, as we look at the resurrection, it's a thing like that. Because see, when I see a double rainbow, which I have seen, I've also been drawn into maybe not as evocative praise, but I'm not as evocative as Bear, and I don't do drugs. But, and maybe he doesn't either, that's not charitable. But when I've seen a double rainbow, I have God's revelation whispering in my ear, and I think and say to the children, look! Look! Look at the double rainbow. Or look at the rainbow. A sign. A sign because we've been spoken to. We've had people that God has invested with His Word who have revealed His intentions, have said, when you see the rainbow in the sky, think about magnificent mercy. That the, the bow of heaven is not pointed down anymore, it's pointed at me. No longer will you fear the terror of a world-destroying flood. This rainbow should evoke praise. Should evoke weeping. Should evoke joy. And when you see the resurrection, and you see how much it takes away the breath of these women who meet Jesus at the grave when they didn't expect to do any such thing, these disciples that Jesus barges in on, an unexpected drop-in through locked doors while they're huddled in the midst of their fear, it seems to me we have an opportunity to look at what does this sign mean? The question that Bear gives us, what does it mean? We get to answer because it's been answered for us. And I can't get into all that it means. It means a whole lot. But we can look at a few things, and the thing I would like to say today is that Jesus' resurrection, it means, among other things that I can't get into, that you have the unsurpassed and unsurpassable resources to practice resurrection in all the muck of the world. The resurrection of Jesus means that, among other things, you have the unsurpassed and unsurpassable resources now available to you to be a people who practice resurrection in the world amidst all the muck of the world. What am I talking about? Well, let's look. Jesus comes into a room where people are not expecting him to be there. They're afraid. And the doors are locked. And he comes and he brings with them peace. He brings with them a sudden reversal. They move from fear to utter astonishment. In a matter of seconds, just by him being there, Wendell Berry has written a poem that I read at our staff meeting this week as we contemplated Holy Week. And the last line in that poem is "Practice uh, revelation, resolution. What word am I looking for? Resurrection. Practice resurrection." Let me read you an excerpt from this poem because it speaks well to us. I won't read all of it. This is from the Mad Farmer Liberation Front. He says, love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they'll call you. When they want you to die for profit, they'll let you know. So friends, he says, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government. Embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered, he has not yet destroyed. And he says this laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful though you have considered all the facts. Be joyful though you have considered all the facts. And he signs off with this practice resurrection. Do something every day, he says, that won't compute. Be joyful though you have considered all the facts. Practice resurrection. And I think when you look at the reversal that Jesus affects, and you look at this newness that he brings about and says, a new thing has begun. The New Testament writers call it a new creation. That we live with this call to have stereoscopic vision, looking one eye with what's before us, and with one eye recognizing we're in a new reality, a new set of circumstances, where death no longer reigns, and therefore, though we will die, it will be a portal into a new world, we're told. He's forever transformed the grave, and so Wendell Berry can say, practice resurrection. And of course that's what Jesus is telling his disciples as he forms them in this huddled mass of fear. And he sends them out to practice resurrection, to point people to a new reality that's not yet apparent to them. A new set of values, a new set of standards, a new set of empowering energy. The Apostle Paul calls it grace that is to me without it was not without effect. It's a kind of life that gets worked into you that can't help but get worked out of you. And so he calls them to go out into the world, and we're going to look at this. What does it mean that you have these resources for practicing resurrection, for doing the things that won't compute, for being joyful, even though you've considered all the facts? And I think what you've got to have is you've got to arm yourself every day with this reality of the resurrected Lord so that you can walk out into all the muck. And what I'm thinking of here is that at Christmas time, when we had all that snow on Lookout Mountain, and it became apparent to me how poorly uncontextualized I was to this area because I not only don't have a four-wheeler, and not only do I not own a big knife or any sort of firearms, just these deadly weapons... I realized I don't chew tobacco anymore. I got nothing, and here I am out in the snow. I got no cool snow gear. I've got old basketball shoes. I look like a doofus. What I need me to get, need me to get, is muck boots. So I went out and bought some boots. They were not inexpensive, but they were awful good. I bought myself some muck boots. You might see me in them someday when I'm out to conquer the world. But what I've noticed though, the unexpected, the unintended consequence of having these muck boots is that all of a sudden I find myself impervious to the fear of the normal things that I would fear. For instance, when I traipse through our woods to retrieve the seven or eight hundred balls a week that go down there, wiffle balls, tennis balls, soccer balls, basketballs, balls of every sort that wander down into these woods. and. I find myself, when I have these boots on, I just skip through the woods. (laughs) Because I know there ain't no copperhead going to get me, and more than I fear a copperhead, I fear poison ivy. Because you know what happened to me one time? I'd made it through nearly 30 years of life thinking I wasn't allergic to poison ivy, and one day I was on a work crew, and none of us, apparently even not our supervisors, knew that we were hugging and cuddling Lots of poison ivy. Fortunately, I had on short sleeves. (laughs) And no gloves. And I was hugging this stuff all day long, ripping it out of trees, being heroic and industrious. And then, the next day, as we were heading back to Orlando, I noticed a bump. People get bumps, what's the deal? And I noticed several more bumps. And then before I knew it, I was covered in a plague of poison ivy that ruined my life for a time so that I felt like my arms should be rightly amputated for me to know comfort again. I walked around like this and fortunately Orlando, it's only about 4,000 degrees so it's a good place to have your arms caked with calamine lotion. Because it doesn't run when you sweat. And it's fun to walk around like this. Don't touch me! Don't touch me! (laughs) Steroid shots. And I made a commitment as many of you do whenever you fear something, whenever you have some kind of drastic circumstance in your life, you make these commitments. Sometimes they're explicit. Sometimes they're implicit. I am not ever going to go through that again. Somebody hurts you. And the conclusion you come to is, I'm not ever going to let them hurt me again. I'm not ever going to give myself to anybody again. You grow up poor. I'm never going to go without again. You get wounded in some way or another, and you get these deep commitments to never feeling those things again, never letting those things touch you again, and that's the commitment I've made to poison ivy. But I find, with my muck boots, all of a sudden, mud, high weeds, poison ivy, bring it on! Because they're high. And even if I have on my short pants and my high boots, I look good. (laughs) Just ask Kathy. Well, so what I'm envisioning here is that Jesus comes into this room. My page is continuing to move with the wind here. Jesus comes into this room where these disciples are afraid, more afraid than I would be a poison ivy. I don't live in fear. I don't think about it. Just when I go near it. But these disciples were actually afraid for their lives because they had seen this man. This man who was utterly unique from all the other people they'd ever been around. And they were convinced that this was the guy. This was the hero who had been plopped down onto this planet of tears. To swallow up death. To remove tears. To set up God's administration That was going to right all wrongs and make all things sad, as we've said, as Tolkien said, come untrue. They were convinced of this, and then they watched him become a punching bag. And then they watched Roman soldiers poke a spear in his side, like curious boys poking at a dead cat. They listened on as people jeered him much more fiercely than any mean 14-year-old girls destroying each other with their gossip and words. And they watched all of this and then they watched him give up his spirit in a godless world. Where are you, God? Why have you walked out on me, God? Into your hands I commit my spirit. They watched him die. They knew he was buried. And with him was buried all of their hopes. Everything we were hoping for. Dashed. Dead. Now we're disoriented. What do we do? And they're huddled because they know if the Jews would do that to him, we're on his side. It's coming for us next. And so they're huddled in their fear. They've got a commitment. We're not going to get hurt. What are we going to do? If you have the resurrected Christ in your life and you believe in it and you believe in what his resurrection stands for, then you have resources like muck boots to go through your fear. Because, see, Jesus meets you right in your fear. Jesus walks into the room, the room that is barricaded. He gets in anyway. And they're not a little freaked out. And he stands among them and says, Peace be with you. Notice this response. What do you think you would have done if you had been building up this team, this support system, and they all. Like a bunch of yellow-bellied cowards ran off right at the time when you needed somebody to be beside you. And he doesn't say, where were you? What are you doing? You're frauds! He says, Shalom. I pronounce upon you God's flourishing. I pronounce upon you all things good and right and true. I pronounce upon you all the breakthrough of heaven and... In your lives here on Earth, peace be with you," He says it again, as they're overjoyed to see him. Again, he says, "Peace be with you, as the Father has sent you, I has sent me, I'm sending you. Jesus takes these guys who are convinced, I'm sure, that they've misread Jesus. Maybe He's misled them, that in the face of what they thought was God's most convincing action, that in fact God was actually completely inactive. He didn't lift a finger. And Jesus comes in the middle of it and pronounces peace that can move them through their fear. Because you know what happened to these guys, right? These guys who were huddled in fear. How did all of these guys wind up dying? They saw Jesus die, which makes them, like you and me, say, I ain't going to die like that. I know one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to walk around on the planet and talk about following some guy who says he's a savior because that gets you killed. Let's formulate a plan. They meet up with this Jesus and all of a sudden, you know how all of them die? They get killed like their savior. Except for John. Well, why? Why would they all wind up getting killed like that? What would make these people who are so afraid? become so bold because before they died of course they did what Jesus said they took the news of this resurrection to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the uttermost parts of the world they were a success because here you are today wasting your time or maybe not it's true they knew it was true you know sometimes in order to Provide sound and thorough cultural exegesis. I watch The Office. I watch lots of it because I need to know what people think and what the world out there is like. Okay, I just like the show. But there's this, uh, this one scene, this one episode called Scott's Tots. And if some of you know Michael Scott, he is he's a lovable fellow, the most unself aware cat who's ever appeared on screen. He's self-deceived and capable of profound idiocy and profound warmth. Well, Michael Scott one day decides, apparently at age 30 or so, to tell a group of children in an inner city school that if they will graduate, if they'll just see their education through, he will pay for their college education. He makes it a point over the years to get to know their names, to come to the school, to visit with them. These children are motivated in response to his enormous promise. This is a life changer. A total game changer for kids who have no option to go to college. And here he has laid it before them. And now they're seniors. And after seven times of making an excuse of why he can't go there to tell them that in fact, he doesn't actually have any money. He says this to the camera. I've made some empty promises in my life, but by far this one was my most generous. (laughs) And so he's trying to get out of this, and he goes to the school, and they're so excited. These kids have learned to call him Mr. Scott, and they call themselves Scott's Tots. It's been in the newspaper, they've got shirts, they've created a dance. The administrators at the school are saying, politicians are always coming around telling us they're going to fix our schools, but you, Mr. Scott, you're doing it. And he's dying. (laughs) You're our dream maker. Our dream maker. Thank you, they say. Thank you, effusive in their praise. And he has to get up in front of them and say, in his most generous empty promise ever, I can't actually send any of you to college. I do... I do have a laptop battery for you. Fairly disappointing. Destructively disappointing. They're not happy about this. And what I'll ask you to consider, as you are called to be people who practice resurrection with these resources to enter into the muck of the world, is that, you know, when Michael Scott made this promise, people can be motivated by a promise. A really good promise can really get people moving. But nobody. Nobody gets moving to a promise that they know for sure is a lie. And it's important for us to believe here, in 2011, when you have those moments when the darkness comes down, and it looks like death is all around, and it looks like there's nothing but sorrow. It's important to realize that the reason we know about Jesus is because there were these men huddled in a room, afraid, and He showed up to them. They, like you, did not expect dead people to get up. But He did. And let me make this piece of advice for you. If you ever meet someone who tells you that they can fix the world, but then they die, do not listen to them. If they come back to life... Think you might be on to something here. And that's what happened with these guys, which is why when he breathed his life into them, this new creation, you know what's happening here? What happened when God made the first creation? He formed this man out of the dirt of the earth, out of the clay of the ground. And after he had made him in his own image, what did he have to do to animate him, to bring him to life? He had to breathe the breath of God into him, the spirit of God. That's what made him a living being. When God's talking to Ezekiel and He gives him this vision of His people annihilated and spread out, bones, dry bones, scattered among the nations, He says, I'm going to bring these bones back together and say to them, Live! I'm going to breathe. I'm going to breathe their tendons back on and their skeletons back into shape and their muscles on top of that and I'm going to make these people who are utterly demolished an utter delight radiating with my life he does the same thing to these apostles who are totally changed we're witnesses of these things he's really alive and then Jesus replaces himself with himself he breathes on them a new creation a new start God's life taking up residence in people who trust him and it helps them move through their fears This is what I think C.S. Lewis must have envisioned in that illustration I know I've used several times before, but I love it so much, good ones get used a lot. Where Lucy, this little girl, has known to follow Aslan, this Christ character, and yet she's been afraid to follow him. And as they finally meet up, she is forlorn and she's so sorry. I'm sorry, I I should have followed you, I should have followed you, I should have done better. You know what Aslan says to her? He doesn't say, away from me. He says, Lucy, you've listened to fears. Come. Let me breathe on you. There. Are you much braver now? Jesus breathes on these disciples huddled in fear. They're able to move out into the world as his witnesses. They're able to move out into the muck of all that's sorrowful. Because it's not an empty promise. It's not God's most generous, empty promise ever. It's... A validated promise. Jesus said He was going to die according to the Scriptures and be raised again and that He was going to offer the forgiveness of sins to everybody and He did it. And they met Him and His Spirit took up residence in Him and they changed the world. And here we are today. And that same life of God is offered up for us. That same promise of His breath is offered up for us. The thing that we keep going back to Him for when we're afraid. When we meet up with all the voices telling us to be afraid. Whether it's Rachel Maddow telling you to be afraid of John Boehner, or whether it's Glenn Beck telling you to be afraid of that devil Obama. Everybody's telling you to be afraid, but your Savior is saying, do not be afraid. Peace. I am the distributor of Peace. Everything else that you run after will urge you. Be afraid that you're going to be left out. Be afraid that you're not going to have enough. Be afraid that you're going to be let down. Be afraid that you need to protect yourself. Be afraid that you're going to get hurt. Be afraid that you're going to die. And Jesus says, I've taken care of everything. And when people believe it, they find themselves moving out in the face of their fears like me and my muck boots against the poison ivy. Except for us, it's it's against poverty. It's against disease. It's against materialism. It's against... Fatherless children, welcoming them into our homes. Caring for people that nobody else wants. Practicing things that won't compute like Wendell Berry said. Because we play according to a different set of rules. We're resourced from heaven with the very life of God. So we don't have to worry about whether we're going to have enough. We don't have to worry about whether we're going to die. Because death has been transfigured. Says Jesus, if we can believe it. And he lastly urges them to move out through this month. Move through their fear. They can move through their suffering. And they can move out as witnesses. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you out into the world. You're going to be, in other of the gospel accounts he's told them, you're going to be my witnesses. And I love this description of witness that I've heard someone say, I thought it was Dorothy Day. But... I've read someone else that it was attributed to, so I don't know who it belongs to. But he says being a witness is, is, not, is not rallying some kind of propaganda to get people to believe something. Being a witness is living like a holy mystery. Living lives that are such that your life would not make sense if God did not exist. Being a witness what Jesus is telling these disciples, which is what confounded the world, aren't these ordinary dudes? Don't they just have a GED? How are they saying things and people are getting changed? How are people responding to them? How is the whole world being upside down? How are people who would never, ever, ever part with their money coming and dropping their land at the apostles' feet? How are these people loving not only their own, but the poor, the unwanted, The aborted? The given up of children? How are they doing this? They don't know nothing. They're not resourced. Ah, but they are resourced. Because Christ does exist. Because Christ has resurrected and He has breathed His life into Him and says, you can move out into the world as witnesses. This is a profound encouragement in the face of your fear, in the face of all that you might suffer and struggle with, including your own self. I got an email this week that was vastly encouraging to me. It was very short, but it was very sweet. They were thanking me, and they said this. I'm so excited about this church. I never knew I could be. I never knew something like this would get to happen to me. And I'm so excited about the healing service tonight and the Good Friday service on Friday. And they were thankful to me. And you know what overwhelms me with joy when I see someone who's coming into a relationship with this resurrected Savior and their life's being filled with all the goodness of it. And I think, ah, that reminds me that God does stuff beyond what I can anticipate and beyond what I know about, because maybe like you, when I look into the mirror, I said this on Friday night, I'm like Frederick Beatner said, I look into the mirror and I see eight parts, phony, coward, slob. I look in the mirror and say, "How could God do anything through me?" I may just destroy this whole church. I may destroy my whole family by being like I am. And somehow or another, another life takes up residence in you. And you move out even in the face of your fears, expecting the living Jesus to be on the other side of them. And boom, life happens all around. And I can't take credit for it. I can just exalt in it. Holy cow. Our holy Christ. And you can do the same thing. This life is offered to us. It moves us to walk in His ways. It produces His life in us. Sometimes we have to move in the face of fear. Often you'll have to move in the face of fear. It's worth asking yourself this week, are there ways that I live that to the outside world wouldn't make sense if Christ doesn't exist? Are there any practices I'm engaged in? If you work all the time, well, that makes sense. If you take a day off, that doesn't make sense. That means you're trusting somebody besides yourself. If you give away money, that doesn't make sense. Unless there's an endless supply on the other side of it. If you love people who aren't going to love you back, or you enter into situations where there's unreconciliation, and you work for reconciliation instead of bringing a hammer down on somebody's head, that doesn't really make any sense. You might get hurt. But your Savior got hurt and he transformed the hurt into something this beautiful to something this beautiful as this people of God who have been deeply forgiven there's a my page get all lost here i'm going to close down with this when you look at Jesus coming to these huddled in fear, disciples. He comes to Thomas, he says, after the disciples have come and said, we've seen Jesus, he says, look at the wounds. Look at my wounds for you. These are the the things that move Thomas to worship. But before he comes, these disciples say to Thomas, we've seen the Lord. They can't help but share their excitement. All kinds of things that are exciting in your life. They need to be shared. The reason I know about Bear Vasquez is because people heard this and thought, this guy needs to know about it. That's how videos go viral. Is because there's no fun to laugh if you don't get to share with people who are going to laugh with you. It's no fun to have joy if it's kept to yourself. That's part of why we gather for praise is that praising Christ, actually completes our enjoyment of Him. Well, this week, I encountered this firsthand. I encountered the truth of what was said in that movie, Into the Wild, where this young man was disenfranchised with the world around him. He graduated from Emory. He had an upper-middle-class upbringing. He saw through the vacuousness of this certain life, and he was convinced that he could find... Happiness That he could find shalom, peace. He needed to get out into the wild. He finally made his way after a long, arduous journey up to Alaska from which Sarah Palin can see Russia. And in this beautiful land, Eden on earth, he finds a vacated school bus. And he begins to live in the school bus in utter solitude and makes a fatal mistake and eats a poisonous plant. Which... Winds up, they speculate, leading to his death. And at the end of this movie, he writes this line. He scrawls it on this piece of wood. Happiness is only real when it's shared. Happiness is only real when it's shared. And these apostles, they had Jesus say, I'm sending you out like I've been sent out. I want the joy of the Father that I have to be in you, he tells them. And I want the multiplication of joys all around because people need to be forgiven of their sins. Because people need to know that the life that they're living and the things that they're trusting will not deliver. As Marion just said, the Easter Bunny won't deliver. He won't fix you. He won't give you peace. He'll bring you some candy. But Jesus brings His peace to us. This week, this is the last thing. Good resurrection news. This week I had an opportunity to learn of news that I thought was going to kill me when I first got it because I was so excited about it. But then after I could not tell anybody about it, I found the joy of it diminishing because I couldn't talk about it. But I've been so excited to get here today to talk about it because I think it's a great demonstration of reversal which is what this cross is. A great demonstration of God's life being at work in us. You know, last Sunday we had a congregational meeting here. In that congregational meeting, John Conrad, our king deacon, that's what I call him. That's not the actual name. <laughs> he revealed to you an update about our building project. This, What we thought a very modest thing that started out with fire sprinklers included to be about a $250,000 deal. Around there, two fifty-five, whatever. And then we've we've whittled it down to two hundred and nine thousand. And we told you last week, well, we've only raised one hundred and ninety or something like that. And we're committed to living within our, within our means. And so that means you may not have toilet paper, and there may not be any dividers between the toilets. <laughs> but but there will be a there'll be you know four walls at least. And we won't have any of the other stuff in here and other new doors that we need. And all the other stuff we thought we needed. Well, so, that's what we thought was the situation. Just like those apostles thought that death was the end. Well, this week I'm happy to report that pledges have come in this week. Pledges have come in this week that our elders don't even know about this. Our deacons don't even know about this. Our congregation doesn't even know about this. Pledges have come in this week that permit us to do the whole shebang. The whole freaking shebang. That's yeah. That's pretty cool. Not the 209 version, the 255 version. So yeah, praise God. Reversal happens. Resurrection happens. We worship a God who listens to prayer. We worship a God who sees through death, who resources you to move through the muck of life and urges you every day to do things that do not compute because you have the life of Him in you who conquers everything. I'm going to pray because we need to thank God for this. Let's pray. For us and for our salvation, you are willing to be treated like a cosmic stepchild, beaten, bruised, forgotten, forsaken, so that we would only know your welcome. Please help us to trust you. Please help us to practice resurrection, and please receive our praise because you and you alone have moved in people to provide for us what we've asked for you to provide. We take no credit but give you all glory. We give you all the praise. It's better than for us today.